This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, October 5th, 2022 edition, and we are well into the fourth quarter now, and it's been a volatile year, and we've had quite the rally over the past three days. Thought we were going to get a setback today, but we closed modestly positive. And, you know, this is a time where you reassess your strategy, what positions are outperforming in this market rebound, what are underperforming. You know, those are one of the, the many things that you have to consider when trying to optimize your portfolio for your goals, for this market environment, etc. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I look forward to this hour with you and hearing your finance and investment questions and giving you my unbiased answers. Now, the phone number, as always, never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I have a packed podcast for you today. My focus point concerns the story behind this important question. The Bank of England has been forced to reverse QT, quantitative tightening. Is the Fed next? We're going to talk about market instability and how central banks are likely to react to that. Now, time permitting, I have some other topics on the docket as well. One is some recent private funds that are closing to redemptions. And I believe this is going to be the start of a rash of these private funds that uh, don't let you get your money out. And unfortunately, a lot of people are talked into them whether that's a private REIT or some sort of private income fund. Uh, and I wanted to highlight this because this is a hallmark of this industry and it happens during every cycle and you're starting to see it now. Also, I want to touch on what a new Fed governor is saying, Philip Jefferson. He just took office in May. And so these are some of his, his first uh, comments to the public about monetary policy, excuse me, fiscal, yeah, yeah, monetary policy, excuse me. Uh, and uh, I want to I touch on that and how that feeds into the narrative and Fed action. And then lastly, if we have time, why you aren't feeling the rise in interest rates in your savings account. So we're going to look at that. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. And we have some voice bank questions ready to answer through our, and some iTunes review questions ready as well. So I've got that all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'm going to take your calls as well. So give me a call, 888 chart Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P, well, I guess that was technically off seven points, but we certainly rallied nice strongly through most of the day, although we opened uh, the morning was relatively weak and we got a little bit of sell off at the end of the day, but nothing uh, too crazy. And what you're seeing here, when you look at the dollar, for example, uh, that 
was up today for the first time in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five days. Uh, so, sorry, six days. Yeah, so it's five down days in a row. It had a little bit of bounce today. Uh, but you look at things like precious metals continuing to remain relatively strong. And it's just kind of building in that narrative that the Fed is going to pause. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about why. Uh, but that was uh, really more of a pause day after two big thrusts higher from a very oversold uh, from very oversold conditions. This is uh, an environment where sentiment was extremely poor, some of the poorest I've, I've ever seen. And obviously, there were there are things to worry about. There's never bad sentiment during, you know, perfectly rosy times. But oftentimes, per usual, the market gets off sides, investors get off sides one way or another. And you had peak bullishness last year. And just a little over a year later, you have peak bearishness uh, uh, last week, and you're getting uh, a powerful counter trend rally so far that I think does have legs for uh, a, a, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, we'll see. Uh, but ultimately, uh, this is the start of kind of that market reacting to a less hawkish Fed. Now let's get to our first listener question now. Hey, uh, I'm wondering about Bitcoin. What do you think about uh, Bitcoin and the future of cryptocurrencies over the next five years? Long-term position, Bitcoin, five years. What do you think? Well, five years, I think more that's intermediate. I don't know if I call that 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 long-term, but that, that's in the intermediate phase. I think long-term, more like 10 plus years. Uh, but I'll give you my take on crypto in general. I don't think it's going away. And I think this is a platform that will probably be the basis of a of our global reserve currency that will replace the dollar because it you know the dollar has issues of its own but the problem is there's it's kind of the cleanest dirty shirt as they like to say and it's going to take a better system a more stable system and one that is easily transacted there's enough volume in it uh to to really shift the the currency systems uh, away from the dollar. And a lot of people say Bitcoin, uh, and that's certainly a possibility. But what I see is something that probably does not exist today. Probably backed by some sort of harder asset, whether that's gold, whether that's silver, whether that's a mix of commodities. I think that is probably the most likely thing, a mix of commodities. Um, but we are in the early stages of the development of cryptocurrencies and the standard and what that ultimately means for the global financial system. There's probably need some guardrails. Look at what happened with Celsius and, 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 and the like uh, with the stable coins. And there's a lot of, it's the wild west. And so when you have that instability, going to our main focus point today, uh, it's going to be very difficult for something what what exists today to usurp uh, the the dollar. I think Bitcoin has once again a chance. But 
in a higher interest rate environment, lower liquidity environments, uh, I don't think crypto is going to be a great investment for the next five years. I think we're going into a long crypto winter, winter until we find that true asset that, once again, probably doesn't exist today to replace the dollar. Uh, I think it's very similar to the 1960s and the internet. Uh, back then, there were, in, there were universities throwing pieces of data uh, back and forth between each other, but there wasn't any unified standard. And today we call that TCIP. And I think that's we're in a similar phase where people are playing, they're messing around, they're trying to create utility uh, with, the, with blockchain and, and the platform. But ultimately, how much utility, what, what problem has crypto solved so far? Maybe some cross-border moving assets between countries. That's about it, but that's not enough. Not nearly enough to make it the global reserve currency or anything viably sustainable. So I think we're in for a long period of tinkering and not a great investment environment for crypto uh, over the next five years. Thanks for the call. Now it's an Invest Talk Wednesday and we are smack dab in the middle of the week and we're obviously taking account of the market gyrations and as serious investors, I know that you have questions and that means our number never changes and it never closes. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. My main focus point today concerns the story behind this important question. The Bank of England has begun to be, has been forced to reverse QT, and the question is the Fed next. And you know the financial ecosystem is now very heavily heavily levered uh, after a decade plus of very very low cost of capital, cost of debt, and. There's the the paradox of uh, of instability of stability, and that's really the the main risk. And what that means is that it, it assumes all players are rational. 
and such rash and, and rational players avoid complete destruction, meaning nobody's going to hit the big red button. They're not going to blow up the system. Despite their maybe poor decisions over the decade plus, and maybe a lot of those decisions weren't made directly by them. Think of Jerome Powell. You know, Bernanke, he started QE and kept it going longer than Jerome Powell has. But the ultimate job of the actors is to stay rational and to keep the stability. And the market's kind of slow grind lower since the start of the year. Relative stable decline. I know it feels bad, but hasn't been disorderly. That has allowed the Fed to continue to be hawkish and, and really hike rates faster than they ever have. And but but the question is is when when do stable markets suddenly become unstable? And that happened kind of last week. It was the the Bank of Japan, or sorry, no, the Bank of England was forced to start buying bonds. It was doing QT. It was it was it was selling bonds, letting them roll off, kind of the way the Fed is doing now with Fed Treasuries. But when yields spike. Pension funds were hit with margin calls, and that created market instability, all because of the leverage within the system. Now, while the Fed is committed to raising rates to reduce inflation, the big question is how much pain are they willing to inflict, and how far behind the curve were they really? And are they maybe now too far in front of the curve? Why is that? Well, the Fed is focusing on lagging economic data. Payroll data, for example, is, is very lagging. And then monetary policy usually takes 9 to 12 months to feed through to the economy. So the rising the, the the rising rates that started at the beginning of the year are just starting to be felt. And so this heightens the risk of a policy mistake. And the annual rate of change of the Fed funds rate is now the most aggressive in history. And so Milton Freeman once stated, corporations don't cause inflation. Governments create inflation by printing money. And that's what you saw in 20 and 2021. People just handing out checks when this is a supply issue, not a demand issue. But so far, forward estimates are falling. So the policy changes are coming into effect. And ultimately, the Federal Reserve is going to keep market stability top of mind. Now, Jerome Powell is a creature of private equity, so the corporate bond market is typically what he focuses on, but I think he's starting to see that instability globally, and that's why it's likely to pivot and the market's pricing that in.
Running to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888-99-CHART. Hello, guys. This is Reed from Washington. A great show. I'm calling about this uh, ticker symbol of Zebra Technologies. Call and see what would be a good uh, buy point. The ticker is Z-B-R-A. I'll be listening for the answer. Thank you so much for the great show. No problem. Thanks for the call. This is Zebra Technologies, Z-B-R-A, about a $14.6 billion market cap, very little debt. And what they do is they make thermal and thermal transfer printers, RFID printers and encoders and card readers. And so this is one of the best plays in the RFID space. What RFID stands for is radio frequency identification device. Think of your, uh, that's what's used on your phone to scan if you have Apple Pay, for example, and you're scanning that over the reader um, or your, your credit card. You know, you have that, uh, you can scan your credit card without the, without the, uh, the mag strip. You just wave it over the reader. That's RFID. And so that's been gaining traction. And it's been talked about for years of kind of the replacing the barcode. And in some applications, it's certainly done that. Um, now, Zebra is a leader in that space, and they've built a very consistent business longer term. Their five-year average return on equity is 28%, medians 31%, very, very robust. So I like that you're looking at a company that has consistent profitability, good cash flow, and growing, right? Cash from operations, $684 million. Now, that's down from where it was in September of 2021. Uh, but I think it's more of a reversion to the mean. Before that, it was on a steady march up. So it's definitely come back uh, from a, a business perspective uh, in profitability. But I still I still like the name. I actually think this is a great buying opportunity. It's back from enterprise value to EBITDA perspective down around 15, which the long-term average is 19. The median is 16. So it's a bit below that. And now this doesn't pay a dividend. It's not going to give you that consistent dividend, which is, you know, sometimes that's fine. If they can reinvest in the business, maybe they're buying back shares and they've done that recently. Gone from 50, about, let's see, 54 million shares outstanding in 20, end of 2019. Now there's about 52 million. So not huge buybacks, but definitely one use of that free cash flow. And long-term, it's actually at some pretty, a pretty good support level uh, down here around 260, right? It bounced from 260 all the way to 280. But I think this has more upside. So I, I like this. I like this. Finally, uh, a call that is about a real business that is consistency, consistent profitability, cash flow. It's not drastically overvalued. It's uh, probably modestly undervalued. And so I'm going to give Zebra a thumbs up. Now let's pivot over to talk about private funds, whether these are private equity funds, private REITs, uh, private debt funds, that's basically private equity fund. And you're starting to see over in the UK, many of them shut their doors to redemptions. Schroeder's $2.8 billion UK real estate fund told investors that they will defer most of its $65 million in, re in redemptions due to be paid out on Monday. 
and saying they're closing uh, redemptions until July of next year. Now they're expected to pay out those redemptions at some point if they can offload some assets. But the question is, when and if? Columbia's Threadneedle's $2.1 billion Threadneedle Pension Pooled Property Fund. They moved switching the redemptions from every day to now every month. And they're trying to sell some assets to meet redemptions. So they're also in that book. BlackRock, they deferred their second quarter redemptions that were due to be paid out at the end of September. And they haven't set a new date of when you can get your money out. And their BlackRock UK property fund, that is considering redemptions quarter by quarter. So maybe you can get your money out next quarter, but maybe not. And this is exactly why we don't recommend people buy into these private funds. A, returns are rarely ever better than you're going to get in the broad market or, or the market where you can find the best of breed. Say, for example, REITs, buying the best of breed REITs. There are other closed-end debt funds you can buy. There are other ways to gain exposure to non-equity, non-equity market exposure that produces income. And that's really the sale here is usually income and, oh, you're getting some sort of different level of, of asset. Not really. Most of these are not marked to market, meaning the price they tell you it is, is probably not exactly the price that you're going to get out. And I've seen that. I've seen clients transfer assets in, trying to sell private REITs, and you know the, the, the number they send you on the statement is not really the number you're going to get when you try to sell, if you can sell. And in downtimes like this, it's even more illiquid. And you're starting to see that in the UK, which means that that's going to spread to the rest of the world when it comes to these levered real estate and private equity linked funds. Now, the next Invest Talk story behind this headline what a strong US dollar means for investors. Now, some company earnings could falter, and companies have a significant portion of their earnings coming from overseas will suffer the most. But that story is for tomorrow, and I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. Hi, Steve. This is Charles from Fort Lee, New Jersey. My question is regarding SCHD, Schwab Dividend. Um, I'm interested in an all-in uh, into this one fund. I do not wish to do the research for individual stocks, but just as some people 
by the Dow Jones or the Qs or the S&P 500. I'm wondering what you think of SCHD as an all-in kind of strategy to be able to participate in the market. Take care. All right, looking at Schwab D, SCHD, the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity Fund. And as you would imagine, it is filled with a lot of uh, dividend payers, yields about mm, three and a half percent, three and three quarters percent. So healthy dividend yield there. Uh, And let's look at the sectors, uh, sector breakdown. And well, dividends are great and dividends are important long term uh, to discipline when it comes to capital allocation within a business. That's really the main way that dividends enhance the investment return long term is just keeps management accountable because management doesn't want to be the one to cut the dividend. Okay. So they're a little more focused on using their capital, using their cash flows and their earnings to reinvest in the business in a uh, efficient way. Okay. That's number one. So I like that. But let's look at the sectors that you're exposed to here. Now, technology is about 16%. I still think it's a bit high for my liking liking in this environment. Uh, Now, it's better than the broad S&P or any of the targeted funds you're probably invested in your 401k, which are probably going to be closer to 25% in technology. So that's good. That's 10% less than what you're going to get from a broad market uh, index. But energy is still 5.4, which is a tad higher than the roughly 4% the S&P is invested in energy, but that should be closer to 15%. Okay, basic materials is only two. That should also be closer to 15% in an inflationary environment. And has no real estate exposure, zero, which is kind of odd considering REITs, they pay nice consistent dividends. Is overweight healthcare 12%? Consumer cyclicals, that's relatively low, seven and a half. I think that's good. Consumer defensive 13, in an inflationary environment, that does tend to struggle a bit. Uh, but, but overall, I think this is a step up, an improvement from the broad indexes. You talked about not wanting to pick individual stocks. What I might do here is supplement this. If you don't want to pick individual stocks, you could buy this, but then supplement it with, hey, I need more energy exposure. I need more basic materials exposure. I need more real estate exposure. Maybe buy a REIT index. Maybe buy the XLE or uh, IYB. That's basic materials. There's, there's various variations here. I'm not saying you should buy any of them, but that's kind of the, the approach that I would take is this might be a good core holding with a lot of your, your assets. Once again, if you don't want to pick individual names, but then supplement it with some sector ETFs. That's the way I would handle it. If you don't want individual companies. Now let's keep things moving and get back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for another listener question that came in earlier at 888 chart Hello, would like to get your opinion on Encore Wire Corporation. The ticker symbol is W-I-R-E. I just want to get your opinion on the business and what you think of the valuation. Thank you. All right, this is an interesting one. This is Encore Wire Corporation out of Texas. It's in the industrial space, which I like. They're, they manufacture electrical building wire and cable. 
It supplies wire for interior electrical wiring in commercial and industrial buildings, homes, apartments, and manufactured housing. They're, they sell to wholesalers, wholesale electric distributors, who then sell that to contractors. And their business has done very, very well lately. But I don't know that this is going to be sustainable. The return on equity right now is 52%. Their longer term median is 11%. Pre-pandemic, their return on equity was high single digits, low double digits. So I want to know what has changed about their business where they're what make what's make, making them able to achieve such high margins, such high returns for shareholders. Their operating margin right now is 30%. Their long-term average is 12. Their median is 7.6. So it looks like they're earning way above their long-term average. And how sustainable is that? Especially if building is going to slow down because of higher interest rates. People are going to be not be able to pull money out of their equity out of their home to remodel. And earnings are expected to fall 50% next year. Let's make $31 a share this year, which would make $120 stock pretty cheap. But if making $15, suddenly still looks relatively cheap, but are they going to go back to making three, two, $3, almost $4 like they did pre-pandemic? I think that's likely. Maybe they should overshoot the other way. So this is a perfect example of how you don't want to get roped into businesses that long-term are okay or whatever businesses. And then suddenly they were hero businesses during the pandemic. You know, Zimmer Holdings is another one of these. Uh, I get a bunch of Zimmer integrated shipping. I got a lot of calls about this. They made $40 per share uh, this year, but they almost picked $9 per share next year. Uh, they made, they were losing money pre-pandemic. And the stock's already down 63%. So my worry here is it's, it's going to be a version to the mean. And you're overpaying. Now, the technicals are fine. They're kind of neutral. Kind of just dropping in a, in, a, in a trading range. Probably the market's trying to figure out. Is this sustainable? Is it not? And his history tells me that they're not. That businesses, unless something major changed, which, you know, if I did deeper dive, maybe there is, they're going to revert to the mean. And so that's why I'd pass on it. Thanks for the call. Now, the seasons are changing and mark the market is as well. And you've seen that this year. Very different in October 2022 versus October 2021. And that means, have you shifted your strategy? Are you prepared for this volatility? Well, if you are, or you don't feel like you are, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients, and we practice unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we offer a free portfolio review assessment 
via telephone or go to meeting. You can send us a message to investtalk.com or give us a call at 800-557-5461. Yeah, we have an 800 number. We've been on since 1993. So uh, we, we, we'd love to help you in any way. Just a short period of time can help help me give you some guidance on how to optimize your portfolio for your goals, for your risk tolerance levels, and most importantly, this market environment. So I'd love to help you. Just give us a call. 888 chart 888 We have about 15 minutes left in the show. Let's pivot over to a recent statement from new Fed official, Fed Governor Philip Jefferson. It was his first public remark since taking office in May. And he talked a bit about job openings and the job market. And he says, in a market with more job openings than workers, the comp- competition to fill vacancies is leading to rapid wage gains now, and the resulting salary comp- compression may lead to further upward pre- wage pressure in the future. That was before. You had the JOLTS data, the job openings data yesterday, which showed a 10% drop and layoffs rose slightly in the month of August. And it's clear the labor market is cooling. And this is kind of what what they wanted. So you're starting to see the first signs of all the things the Fed wanted to see in the actual data come to fruition. And he said a slowdown in growth this year is likely to ease supply and demand imbalances in the labor market somewhat. He said, we have already seen some indications from survey data, information from transportation hubs, and producer prices that supply bottlenecks have, at long last, begun to resolve. So this is the first real indication from any Fed official that, hey, they're seeing the data that they want to see to slow the pace of their tightening. And Fed President Mary Daly followed up. Yesterday in New York said the job, said the decline in job postings could give officials room to fight inflation without causing painful job losses. And she said, there's a lot of room for us to slow the pace of hiring and still not dive into third, uh, into the third and most painful place that everyone fears, which is outright layoffs. So she's saying that she thinks a soft landing is possible and she's starting to see the the reduction in that inflation pressure. And so this is why the market reacts. You don't really see it in the headlines. It's not talked about a lot. But remember, the market isn't looking at the headlines. The real players, the institutions, they're not looking at the headlines. They're talking to people like Mary Daly, Fed governors. And they're getting these small indications, slight changes in verbiage. And that often can shift the market pretty rapidly, as you've seen over the past three days. So I thought that was of note. This is out of the Wall Street Journal, which that's usually where you get the first kind of Fed mouthpiece from. And then that eventually feeds into a statement by the head honcho, Jerome Powell. Now let's pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank at 8899 chart. Hello, this is Luke from New York. I'm calling about Big Lots, symbol B-I-G. 
wanted to get your opinion on this stock as the price is pretty low. Looks like a good price to buy. What is your stock valuation? Looking forward to hearing your answer about this stock. All right, this is big lots. And this is kind of the opposite of that last one where uh, a lot of the retailers are over inventoried. So what happened in the retail space, and I have people with, that I've, many people I've talked to within this industry, is that last year, remember the supply bottlenecks, we, we had the bottlenecks at the ports, we couldn't really get things in. Uh, and that was heading into the holiday season where a lot of retailers and a lot of goods producers make the vast majority of their profits. So they needed to make sure that there was supply of their goods. So what did they do? They paid for a lot of inventory to be flown in. It was expensive, but hey, their retailers got what they needed. And then what happened earlier this year? They changed some rules at the Long Beach ports. You had China's New Year's where they shut down a lot of factories and production. And they were able to pretty much catch up by the end of the first half. But what did that mean? Double the inventory. You ordered even more inventory that you really wanted. And then the slow months in the first and second quarter, you kind of got a lot of that in. And so a lot of retailers are kind of choking on inventory that they're gonna need to work through probably through the back half of this year is what we're seeing. And so you saw it with Nike, right? Nike talked about inventory being up 60 something percent year over year. And Big Lots is the same way. So right now they're choking on inventory, but the reversion to the mean. What's the return on equity? Right now it's negative. Barely, but negative. Longer term average, 31%. Medians, 26%. So to me, this is a good buying opportunity if you think that there's a reversion to the mean into their normal operating margins, normal operating cash flows. Right now, their operating margins is negative 1% because they're just trying to get rid of inventory. And some of it, they're going to have to do it a lot. They're doing it at a loss. But long term, they average about 4% margins. Pre-pandemic, they were making $3, $4 a share. Now it's at 17 We expect them to go back to making that. And then it's cheap. So our value on this is frankly back to 50 bucks. Now it's at 17, but got to get through the inventory. Right. This game, this, this investing world is, is something you have to really grasp the trends. Longer term trends. I always say the markets, individual stocks are like pendulums, right? Pendulum is rarely ever in the middle, right? It's moving from one side to the other back and forth. And so you need to decide what side of the pendulum is it on. And you need to look at the history, right? You need to look at the, the movement of that pendulum over time to know where it is in space. And that's same with the markets and individual names. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99 Chart.
You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. I'm thinking to diversify my portfolio by investing in timber and lumber stock. Uh, can I have your opinion? Thank you so much. Bye. Well, with the slowdown in real estate, you know, I don't know if that's the best place to be. Uh, you know, I, I think we're in an environment where I call it atoms over bits. We were for the last decade, everyone was investing in bits. And now it's more at real atoms that run your daily life. Think of energy. Think of raw materials. They're going to tend to outperform. But there are different slices of that raw material world. And lumber tends to be extremely volatile. There are tariff concerns. There are, it's obviously very tied to real estate. Uh, whereas, you know, we always need energy. We don't always need to build a home. We always need raw materials to build the important things in our life, like now our electronics uh, to maintain infrastructure. But wood, it's too volatile. So it's very low on the list of the type of raw materials I want to be invested in. So I'm going to pass. I'm going to say, no, this is not a place that I would be trying to actively get involved with uh, beyond more than just a, a small trade. You know, it's trade, that's fine. But longer term hold, you know, this is not a sector that earns amazing returns long term. All right. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on interest rates and interest rates have gone up for a lot of, a lot of borrowing from mortgages to credit cards, et cetera. But your average yield on your savings account has barely gone up. It was 0.1% back in March of 2020, hit a low of 0.06% in late 2020 or early 2021. And while the Fed has raised rates 300 basis points, roughly, those savings rates are still only yielding about 0.14%. Now you can find high yield savings account as high as 3%, which is nice. But the problem is that commercial banks hold $16.8 trillion in deposits. Most of that in checkings and savings accounts and losing out to inflation if you have money there. But most people aren't doing much about it. They're not moving their assets most of the time because they think it's too much a pain in the butt. And that's why you haven't seen that increase very much. Now, some banks, particularly online banks, they've inched up yields. Ally Bank went from 0.5% to 2.1% last month. And according to Bankrate, the highest yielding national 
account is by UFB Direct, this is FDIC insured account, paying 3.01%. And so if you're looking in the right place, you can get really much better yields than you have in a long time. Still lower than inflation, but probably a lot higher than you're getting in your savings account. And the question is, why is there so much money in these, in these banks? Because you could easily move, the average savings account is about $5,300. Now, going from zero to 3%, it's only about $160 a year in earnings. So it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but if you have a lot of money, it can mean thousands of thousands of dollars. If you have a million dollars, it can mean thousands a year. But what's interesting is they did a study in 2021, researchers analyzed behavior of customers in five UK banks. And even though the average customer stood to earn about $200 by moving their money, they didn't do it. They likely, they, they overestimated how difficult it was and they underestimated how much money that they could earn by switching. So I encourage you to do that. Think about moving some of your assets to higher yielding accounts, especially those that are FDIC insured. Uh, I know it doesn't, it seems daunting, but it's usually not that hard. And there are a lot of great, easy to use, especially those online banks. Uh, and a lot of people are losing out on cash that's just sitting there, not earning anything. You can earn something now. And you should look into that. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we're officially over the 45.8 million mark, thanks to you approaching the 50 million mark. Hopefully, we'll get there sometime early next year. You can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review Independent Thinking, Shared Success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing.